So this is the first time I've done a question and answer episode. Thank you to people who asked questions. I will definitely do another one of these. So if you have questions you'd like answered, please drop me a message and I'll make a note for the next time I do it. Just so you know, I have lined up a question and answer episode around group classes for next season. So start sending your questions for me and I'll include them. You can contact me on social media, email, whatever you prefer. All the links are in my show notes. So here are the questions I'll be answering today. One tutor asked me, what has been the highlight of your career? Another question was, how do you motivate students and give them rewards? Number three, how do you get students yourself if you want to move away from working with agencies? Number four, what's the best way to set up group classes? And number five, what should I be charging? So if any of those questions jump out at you, keep listening because I'll be going into some depth with answering them. Welcome to the Upgrade Your Education Business podcast. I'm your host, Samantha, and I'm so pleased you're here. As an education business owner myself and a former teacher, I understand the nuances that only apply to us. So in this podcast, I share fluff-free, tailored and actionable ideas that you can mould to suit your needs. If you'd like to take this conversation further, please do reach out. I would love to meet you. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review. That way, you'll be helping me help more people. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy. Right, I'm going to dive straight in. The first question comes from Jones Tutoring on Instagram, and they asked, what has been the highlight of your career? Now, thank you for asking me this, because it made me think of all the great moments, which is something I really don't reflect on very much. I really should do this more often. Actually, we all should. Now, I have to admit, it's hard to pick just one, so I'll quickly share two. One of the highlights that I experience on an ongoing basis is when people quote parts of my podcast episodes back to me. So often in discovery calls or mastermind sessions, someone will say, you mentioned to do this in your episode about whatever it was. And then we start a conversation around it. And it is so rewarding because I created this podcast and I put a lot of work into it because I want two things. I want people who work with me or will work with me an opportunity to really do some due diligence about if I'm right for them instead of just relying on social media posts. And I also want to help people who may never work with me. So when people quote parts of my podcast back to me, it gives me that reassurance and that hope that I am achieving those two things and it makes the hard work really worth it. And another highlight, which is perhaps a little bit more businessy, One that stands out happened around three years ago during COVID when we were in lockdown. I had set up my first set of group classes and I'd really invested in automating the process of people enrolling. It was the first time really where I'd invested some real money into the business. And it was also the first time I did a really strategic and well thought out launch in my tuition business. So one day I was watching TV and my phone kept dinging with notifications. And when I checked, People were enrolling on the back of my social media posts, people I'd never met before. It was the first time I'd experienced people buying from me without even speaking to me. And it was such an amazing feeling as I realised that my marketing efforts and the investment in all the automation, it was just really paying off. It also made me realise the real scope we have for growth as tutor business owners. If people were happy to enrol into a group class without meeting me, That opened the doors to many more opportunities. 
Although I don't pursue more opportunities in my tuition business right now because I'm not growing it, I am able to pass that experience onto my education business clients when they have ideas for passive or semi-passive income or when they're launching group classes. So Jones Tutoring, thanks again for asking that question because it was really nice to reflect and it was also really nice to think about what allows me to help my clients even more than perhaps I could have a few years ago. Now, the next question came through LinkedIn by Kelly Clement, and she said, I'm currently thinking about student motivation, homework tracking and student rewards. Do people give students rewards virtually or in real life? So in my experience, all of what you mentioned there, Kelly, is interlinked. For context, I teach students from around the ages of eight years old to 16. I currently teach them online, but I used to teach them in person. So I'll share what I did then and what I do now. So I'll start with homework because it's a quick one. It applies regardless of whether I teach in person or online. I use and have pretty much always used Google Classroom. I use it to set the homework, provide feedback and monitor it. But as I mentioned earlier, I find that everything is interlinked. So I don't want students to complete homework for the sake of just getting it done. I want them to get value out of it. So it links to motivation. With my older students, I make them part of the conversation and I make sure that we have a dynamic of working together instead of me being the boss, so to speak, and them needing to do what I say. It's very collaborative. So let's say that I see those early signs of a student not completing homework or not feeling motivated. Instead of telling them off or flagging it with their parents, I tend to tell them that I completely trust you and I know that you would have completed the homework if you could have. So I'll extend the deadline to next week. I find just by having this conversation once, maximum twice, usually avoids that potential issue of them falling behind. And when they're engaged, I make them part of the conversation. So it's not unusual for me to ask them what homework they would like, how much they would like. I find this really motivates them. Now, you mentioned rewards, Kelly. When I taught in person, I would give my younger students things like stickers and little treats like writing on my whiteboard, which they absolutely loved. So sometimes they would write on the whiteboard as we were learning, something I used to do in the classroom too, which even teenagers responded well to. Online, I do something similar. I do things like letting them take control of my screen and be the scribe. And this is great for group classes. And I also use a website called Student Rewards, which works really well for my younger students. Here I set targets or we set joint targets and they get to pick what design they want for their sticker and I give them virtual stickers. They have their own login. Parents can have a separate login. And with that, we work through targets together. They're really excited about it. And we also come up with things like lesson based rewards when they reach their targets. So I hope that's given you a few ideas. The next question also came through LinkedIn and this one was from Brian Dickinson. He said, I get a lot of work from agencies. Whilst I enjoy working with them, I would prefer to get my own students. What's the best way of getting my own students? Well, this is one of the million dollar questions really, isn't it? I have a lot of training in the Tutors Mastermind that helps with this, as really, this underpins everything we work towards. But the answer is really a layered one, because it depends on what you can sustain, what your business model is, and so on. I would say that marketing and visibility are the two areas to really think about. Visibility helps you get in front of more of the right people and marketing helps you nurture the people who are already in your network. 
And I do want to point out that when it comes to marketing, social media isn't the only form. I am a big fan of social media marketing because although it's hard work, it presents so many different ways to build relationships with my audience. And for tuition, I have found that Facebook is the most effective platform and my clients generally find the same, which is why we are focusing on everything organic marketing on Facebook in the Tutors Mastermind this month. However, it does depend on your target client because for certain situations, LinkedIn might be better, Instagram might be better. It really does depend. But in general, Facebook is a real leader. Now, I'll just reiterate what I said earlier, and that is that this is really about what you can sustain. So adding things like email marketing and video content can be great. It's a great thing to add to your marketing and your visibility mix. But it's better to do a few things really well rather than spreading yourself too thin. But I will touch on video content because although it can be more time consuming for tutors, I think this is a really good way of demonstrating how you teach, which can speed up building that trust factor with potential parents and students. Now, if you're listening to this and thinking, but I don't get on with social media, think about how you might be able to use it for a different purpose. So marketing and visibility is a must, but how you do it can vary. You might choose, for instance, to go down the email marketing route as your primary marketing method. Now, in that scenario, you could use social media to build your email list and to nurture relationships via email instead. You could go down the route of paid ads. There really are lots of different ways, and I'm always reluctant to show people one route because you're the one who has to do it. And so if it's simply not your thing, it won't work. So the most important takeaway is that you do need marketing and visibility as part of your mix, but how you do that can vary. Now it's time for some questions that were asked by people who requested to stay anonymous. So through Instagram, I got a question which was, what is the best way to set up groups? Now that's another popular question and another one where my answer is going to be, there are so many different ways. I do have a podcast episode about it as well as a YouTube video, so I'll pop those links in the show notes. And there is a very exciting project I'm working on with another tutor to show people everything they need from start to finish to launch and fill groups. But since that's not ready yet, I'll talk about the two areas from my experience that reflect the top challenges I hear people having. The top worry about groups tends to be, what if I set them up and they don't fill? Should I still run them with one or two students? Now, if you're just starting out and if it's viable for you to run them, I would. When I first set up my groups, the launch was successful. They were fully booked. But once I pushed it to full price, it sloped off a bit and I ran my first half term of lessons with around three students in each class. My capacity was 10 and my price reflected that. So I was running them for not very much money. But during that half term, so during that six weeks, I maximised what I did with them. I published loads of social proof, things like screenshots from the lessons, snippets about what we had learnt and so on. And that helped me attract more students. So if you can run them even with few students, if you, if you publish the right kind of promotional material and social proof, you can see this snowball effect. You just need one or two students to get things started. Another challenge can be how to start them when you offer one-to-one lessons and either parents seem to want one-to-ones instead or you're not sure how to transition without taking a huge hit to your income. 
Again, there are many ways to do it and how you do it will depend on what kind of risk you can afford to take. But here's what I do. I rarely, if ever, get parents choosing one-to-ones over groups or even the other way around because I don't tend to ask them which one they want. Instead, I guide them to the environment that I think their student, their child, will thrive in. And some of my students have one-to-ones and group lessons with me. An analogy I often use in this situation with my clients is that if you went to a doctor because you think you have an infection, let's say a chest infection, and they prescribe antibiotics, you take their advice. You don't negotiate or say, actually, you'd really rather some aspirin. So in the same sort of way, we really have to make clear that we are suggesting the right learning environment for a child based on our professional opinion. That doesn't mean that parents can't be a part of that decision-making process, but if you ask the right questions and use those to genuinely advise why a peer learning environment would be better, you're less likely to come across the issue of people choosing one-to-ones instead. So that's my first big tip around this. Have conversations centred around what's best for the child and why, instead of it being this binary choice, because in that situation, many people do automatically think one-to-ones must be better. In terms of transitioning to groups or doing it in a way where you don't take a big risk with your income, I manage my groups very differently now. At first, as I mentioned, I used to have large groups that ran in half-termly blocks. Now I charge at least double what I used to charge per child per hour and my groups are very small and I group the children together myself instead of them joining a group. They're grouped by year group and compatibility and so what happens is they just continue from one year to another. To date I haven't advertised for these group classes because they remain full with the same students year on year and I do maintain a waiting list where I line people up for certain groups should someone leave or if I want to set up another. Now let's say I have an available slot. I really want it to be a group but right now I don't have enough students to turn it into a group. What I do is I offer a one-to-one class but I make it very clear to the parent that this is going to turn into a group when I meet people who are compatible with their child. So the parent pays me my one-to-one fee so I haven't taken any kind of loss and then when I'm ready I transition it to a group. So that's just one way you know that like I said there are so many different ways and you have to do what sits right with you and you have to do what you can afford to do as well. So you can just set up a group class and run it with however many students are enrolled or you can take more control and turn it into a group when you feel ready. Another person who wanted to stay anonymous asked how much should I charge? This came through Instagram as well. Now this is a popular question but also impossible for me to answer clearly without knowing anything about your business. But here are some things to consider. The first thing is how much do you need to charge? A basic calculation based on the times you want to teach, the time it takes you to do the work around it and how much you need to earn will give you a basic hourly charge that you can start with. At least that way you know you're not working for free and your bills are covered. Another factor is whether you are online or in person. When you're online, the world is quite literally your marketplace. So you can decide how much to charge and attract clients who have that budget. But when you teach in person, you often have to do some market research and decide where you want to position yourself in your locality. And one more factor to consider is who do you want to work with? Your pricing is a communication tool and different prices will attract different people. 
There is no right and wrong here at all, but it's worth considering and looking at what kind of response you get from your audience. For instance, if you attract a lot of people who try and negotiate, that could be a sign that your price is misaligned with who you're targeting. Equally, if people are too quick to say yes, that could be a sign that your fees need to increase a little. I'm sharing quite broad concepts because context really matters, but I hope you can adapt them to your situation. So that comes to the end of the questions that I'm covering for today's episode. Remember to send me your questions if you want a shout out and if you want me to answer them in my next podcast where I do this. If you'd like to stay anonymous, just let me know. That's no problem at all. So I hope these tips helped you. And as always, thank you for giving me your time and you'll hear from me on Wednesday. Would you like to take this discussion further? Perhaps you have some questions or you'd like more ideas on tailoring your business. If so, book a free discovery call through the link in the show notes.